This is the Real Leadership Podcast, a conversation about getting authentic, being yourself, and not being afraid of who you are, with Mark LeBusque and Kate Bora. Hi there, Kate Bora, founder and CEO of Young Professional Women Australia, and joined by Mark LeBusque, Human Manager. Hi, Mark. Hi, hi there, Kate, and hi to our listeners. Looking forward to innovating, ideating, collaborating, and doing a whole lot of Eighting things today. I don't know what they'll be, but they, they, they are corporate buzzwords. Oh, so today we're talking about corporate buzzwords. It's interesting. It's something I've been talking with clients quite a lot about lately, particularly because there's this tendency, and I think it's gotten worse in the last sort of five to ten years, of you know just filling communication, being reports, emails, you know, presentations, PowerPoints feeling it all with just words that actually don't add any value to the message that we're communicating. So much so that I would put out a hypothesis that half the time I receive things or I see things that clients receive and I'm like, man, my brain cannot process that. What are you actually trying to say? And I think it's a really interesting piece because they're trying to represent themselves to be smart by using all these buzzwords, but I'm actually communicating a message. Yeah, look, it's a great point. I talk a lot about the fact that us human beings have turned simplicity into complexity for some reason. And I love your point about trying to look smart. There's something here these days about this helping people to look like they are the smartest person in the room. And, you know, that's not a great place to be in. So we have started to, like some sort of contagion, introduce language first from an individual into a team, into a department, into an organisation, and then it sweeps through organisations outside of that organisation. And I don't know, I I, I find that, I almost call it like wading through the bullshit. It is hard to do, and there's got to be some real reasons as to why we do that. What, what, What do you think? Or do you have a story perhaps about... Yeah, I do. I think I think it's a problem for a number of reasons, you know, in the sense that people are really busy. So, you know, the more that you've got language that is confusing or complex, and actually it's fluffing around the core message and taking away from the core message as well, the longer it's going to take for people to read it, process and respond. So I think there's a problem just around time and availability now, ability to process things. But I also think, you know, the world we live in at the moment, the rate of information that comes at us, you know, we only have a finite processing capacity. So I think the more complex you make something, in my view, the less successful you will be, albeit when you go to organisations and you go to human behaviour in corporates, that's not what's going on. It's the counterpiece that you just said, which is actually, if I use bigger words, if I sound smart, then people are going to think I'm smart. I do think we're on a we're on a turning point, not a tipping point yet, but a turning point where I think we're starting to see a transition where people boards, for example, are wanting to see one page, simple cut down documents. You know, no one, people kind of, there's a piece, you know, if you think about the consulting world, you know, organisations pay for 50 page reports. They don't want to read them. They just want the one hour conversation that tells them what's in it, you know, straight into the point. So I think there is a tipping point coming because of this pressure on time and, and processing capacity. But you know, just the other day, I was working with a client who had been given feedback around not necessarily being as concise. Uh, with messaging for a particular audience that she was working with. And, you know, we sat down and worked through the specifics and it was really interesting to dissect something line by line because ultimately, you know, a number of times I was like, so just tell me in kindergarten language, what are you trying to say here? What's your point? What's fascinating is when people can't tell you that and so they're unclear to start with and therefore there's no way that message is going to be driven home with all the buzzwords around it. But secondly, 
how little value all the words around add to the message, even if they are clear on what they're trying to say, I kind of say, well, you could take out that whole line because it actually doesn't add anything to what you're communicating. In fact, it just confuses or dilutes the core message. Yeah, look, I've, um, I've got three words written down here which I think people should use more in the meeting situation is I don't understand. So just imagine if more people after someone had gone on a barrage of corporate bullshit, they said, I actually don't understand what you just said. Could you just explain that or just help us to understand what you mean? And again, I think there's a level of politeness that goes with that because sometimes if people don't understand, they might think they're not the smartest person in the room, they're actually the stupidest person in the room. So I should understand what ideate means or whatever the word is that means, but I don't, but I don't ask the question. So... I think there's something in that that we've got to start to ask for clarity. Great point you made about time. I read an article today, and I can't, it escapes me, but it talked about the fact that this jargon has actually created more meetings because there's a need for more clarification, more clarity about what's going on, which means we've got to meet again to talk about what we were talking about because we couldn't understand it. Let's just be succinct, get to the point. The one page is a great idea, not the 10, 50 pager or whatever it is. We need to get to the point. And let me use one here. Get to where the low-hanging fruit is, Kate. <laughs> That's my favourite, isn't it? Um, yeah, and, you know, I don't understand. Another one I love is what do you mean by that? That's particularly useful. Uh, Catherine Fox, commentator, and does, you know, we do a lot of work with her. She speaks a lot about conferences. Author of Stop Fixing Women, um, just released another book, Womankind. Just to give her a shout-out, certainly a super fan here. She talks about, you know, if a comment gets made in a room, that feels a little bit passive-aggressive or, you know, there's an underlying meaning to kind of actually, you know, counteract and go, well, what do you mean by that? To actually ask that person to overtly, explicitly say what they mean rather than hiding behind passive-aggressive language. So I think, what do you mean by that? It's a really great one. And I think, you know, the question, if you're explaining this in 60 seconds to a five-year-old, what would you say? Because that forces people. It's a really interesting one because it's illuminating, but it forces people just to kind of go, what's the most important thing that I need to communicate here? What's the core message? What is it that I need you to understand? And I talk a lot about when we talk about effective communication is when the message is received as intended. You think about how often that's not the case. And one of the biggest challenges, I think, in corporate cultures is effective communication. There's so much of this buzzword, there's so much complexity, um, often there's so much ego going on that actually we, you know, we abdicate what we're really there for. We abdicate the simplicity of communication. And you know, I just don't think you can ever underestimate, number one, power of language and number two the power of simple language yeah and we hear so much about people talking about the kiss principle in meetings let's just keep it simple stupid and then all of a sudden we start to go into, you know everything starts to go off it's about thought leadership and it's about lean ninjas and it's about uh, the end state vision and the blue sky and all of this stuff and there are people in the room that are actually having what i call a ferris buell at the moment where they're in the classroom and the kids got his head on the ground, he's dribbling under the floor because he, we just can't keep up with this stuff. So I'd love to hear a story if you have one. Do you have a story about this sort of thing? Look, I think I'm someone who hates all the time is something I value incredibly. And so I, even more so since I've worked myself, I'm a bit of a productivity and efficiency crazy person when I, you know, I want a best use of time. And so you know, we've been working in a, on a consulting piece for an organisation, a very big brand, I've gone in and had the same meeting four times. 
Literally, it felt like the same conversation. We've made no traction. And it was a really, you know, it's really interesting because I'm like, I actually don't, I don't have the time to do this. Like, that's not a good use of my time. Definitely not a good use of people in the in the organization's time. But there is, there's a lot of reworking and catching people up to speed and a lot of inefficiency. And I think this is where we can really get to, you know, in a finance background for me, says this is where we really can get to a strong return on investment or create real business value about what's the reason, it's one of the reasons why it's most important that we start to tackle this stuff is actually if we make it simple, we make it clearer, people can understand it, people can act quicker, they can make decisions quicker. And so we lose a lot of what I'd say is redundant time in meetings, at desks, writing reports, all of that sort of things. And look, I'm not saying we get rid of meetings, reports and anything like that. They've all got their place. But I actually think there's a real upside here in terms of productivity and efficiency, purely in terms of hours worked, FTE or hours worked, to actually help make people more efficient. Mm. Oh, look, it's interesting. Meetings is where this jargon stuff happens. They are full of it. And in fact, you know, there is some research that says 63% of the time spent in a meeting is actually unproductive time. Jason Freed has a great TED talk about why work doesn't happen at work. And he talks about the fact that if you have a one-hour meeting with 10 people in the room, it's a 10-hour meeting. Yeah. Um, now, you just then imagine, multiply that by the amount of jargon that's going on in that room. And here's a beauty from my days back in the corporate field. We had uh, a bit of, we, had a, we were conflicted by short-termism. So if there was a revenue problem, we would get together a tiger team. Now, this was the first bit of corporate bullshit. The tiger team, a team of ferocious tigers who would get together and with other tigers and they would come up with great ideas and great initiatives to find the low-hanging fruit that we hadn't been able to find on the on the vines that were out in our in our offices. So every week, the Tiger team would get together and they would go through very transactional initiatives that never came to any fruition. But it was more about let's create this, let's use this language, and then everyone started to use it. And if you were in a Tiger team, you were actually faded within the business. And really, you know what it was? They were just a series of projects. We should have just said. We're going to run some revenue projects, not tiger teams, and to drill down and to do all of this stuff, it really turned people off. In fact, in the end, when we would get up and present, there was no substance there. It was just like you had to present because you were one of these ferocious tigers. Yeah, look, I love, look, I've still got a lot of friends working corporate, and I love hearing them when they start talking about, oh, I've got a meeting for projects, Project Titan, or I've got, I can't even remember, but I think there's so many um, funny names that we kind of label these things. And look, they've got their place. I think, you know, if we think about that tiger one, you know, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit. Part of it's around creating motivation, to your point, belonging, energy, momentum. You know, they work for a period of time. But I think it's interesting cost benefit. And what's interesting in the story you just shared is the whole thing took on a brand and life of its own. And then actually there was really some strong negative connotations attached to that. Whereas initially it was to belong and to be associated to that was something to be proud of. And then it became something not to be proud of as well. So I think it's interesting how we use language. We use language and labels in organizations as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And the labels are becoming more complex and becoming more, if I can make up a word, more bullshittier than what they were before. <laughs> you love all that. So what do you think if we're sitting here and, you know, listeners are kind of going, right, well, that's great for you two to sit there and talk about this. What is it that you do? How do you start to change the behaviour, your behaviour? How do you start to influence in your organisation to actually move away from this culture of buzzwords and, you know, lengthy reports and, you know, things that ultimately 
fundamentally are perceived to be required to do a good job, but actually don't add a lot of value. I want to introduce, I guess, the concept here of curiosity is to become a curious soul. And when you become a curious soul, you're going to ask people what they mean. Could you tell me more about that? Could you tell me more? This is the greatest question I could ever ask when I'm coaching someone. Tell me more about that. Tell me more. I don't quite understand. Could you? And after a while, it's like when someone says in a meeting, I'm sorry to say this, or to be honest. It's like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Why are you sorry? Well, I don't know. Well, don't say it because you're just feeling in space. What does drilling down mean? When I'm taking the helicopter view, what does that mean? Can you tell me what a helicopter view means? So my first one, Kate, is to become curious to whatever's going on in the room by asking questions. And the second part of that is with curiosity comes a level of vulnerability because you're going to put yourself in a situation where people will be like, well, I know what it means or I think I know what it means, but Mark just asked a really stupid question. Your ability to embrace the fact that you don't know everything, that you are not the smartest person in the room and that to be vulnerable is in fact an act of leadership that may help speed up the process, become more vulnerable. Yeah, I love that word curiosity. I think mostly because... There's no emotion attached to curiosity. It's not positive, it's not negative, it's not affirming, it's not critical, it's just, I'm curious, tell me more, very neutral language. And I think it's really useful because people, that lands really nicely. Most people don't use the word curious in sort of day-to-day language, so because it's not used a lot, people don't have a lot of stuff attached to it. So I think it's a really beautiful language to use in meetings when either you perhaps you hear something that is possibly could be perceived as constructive feedback or criticism to be able to kind of meet that feedback with, oh, okay, cool, tell me more. I'm curious, you know, why would you have that opinion or, you know, what's that based on? So I love that. I think there's a piece, and this is particularly around meetings, is just actually preparation. There's a, an organisation, and the name escapes me right now, where the first 15 minutes of the meeting is people reading the briefing paper and that's fundamentally everyone so that everyone's on the same page so you don't have that redundant time of half an hour of catching everyone up so that we can all have our questions answered and then move forward so i think that's a really interesting one that everyone's okay you're on the same page and then let's have a really good 15 or 20 minute conversation so that we can be really productive and i think there's a piece then around the preparation for that meeting as an individual and when i'm talking and coaching around language particularly around report writing and I talk a lot about this in sort of resumes, is that the act of, and I'm going to say brainstorming, the act of getting something out of your brain onto a piece of paper is very different to articulating something in lovely language to the point that simply communicates the message. They are different skills, so separate them. Everyone tries to do them all in one. So I'm trying to, and I see this, it's like trying to write the executive summary for a report when you haven't written the 30-page report. Brainstorm it out onto a piece of paper. And what's beautiful about that is perfectionism gets out of the way and it's literally about getting information out of your head onto a piece of paper. And then move into a different zone or space where, okay, my job now is to take that information and put that into two sentences that communicates the point, let me check in what that point is, and does that in a way where all the words on the paper or all the words that I'm saying are meaningful and add to my message. And those two processes are separate. 
And I think people get tripped up when they try to combine it. And the more that you can separate it and have a really critical lens when you're looking through, you know, writing the sentence, actually that doesn't add value, I'm gonna take that out. I could just replace that with and instead of, you know, going forward we might look to, you know, let's do this type thing. So I think they're, they're two different skill sets and I think the ability to split them really helps people start to do a better job in both. Number one, getting clear about my message and then number two, communicating in a way where it lands and has impact. Yeah, just one final thing to think about too. There is some pretty good software around now and apps that can help you with that particular stuff that when you are writing stuff and it seems like it's going on forever and it's starting to smell a lot like bullshit, that run it through something like that and it will just go, I don't understand. And if that doesn't understand, well, maybe that's a good thing. And then just maybe this other thing is simplicity is enough. I really think that keep it simple. It's enough to be simple because people can understand a simple message. And I think it has a powerful impact on your personal brand. And I think as we look to the future of work, the person that has the skill to be able to craft and communicate a message in a simple and powerful way will be the person that will progress. Absolutely. Let's leave it there. Always amazing to talk with you, Mark. Thanks, Kate. Keep your leadership real. G'day, it's Mark here again. Thanks for listening to our podcast on corporate bullshit. And if you liked it, why not rate it five stars? And if you loved it, share it with your friends. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with Kate and I, it's Kate Bohr at Young Professional Women of Australia at www.ypwa.com.au and check out her book on core confidence. And for myself, it's www.marklabus.com. Be sure to be listening to our next podcast when we talk about the topic of confidence and how you can build it in order to be a better leader. Until then, keep your leadership real. Bye.